Thank you, Chris. It's always a pleasure to have you here, my brother. Not only do we work next to each other, but we always see each other, so it's a blessing. Okay. So the reason why we're here today is because our usual worship center was at 77 degrees, and it wasn't getting any colder, and the, basically the AC was broken. And I don't know about you, but I'm a kind of like a 70s kind of guy, so that's why we're here. And it's kind of like a blessing to see this. How many of you here were the original ones that it was like one, two rows, and that was it? And it's not that we, we're doing this for numbers. We don't. We just do this to disciple the ones that are here, and the Lord adds to His church. A lot of churches that probably your friends in school or that you know go to, they have the youth groups trying to like get people to go and giving shirts and gift cards and we're going to have a PlayStation night game, and, which is all that. There's nothing wrong with all those, but at the, at the expense of the word, not going to happen. Not going to happen. Let's turn our Bibles to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. For our guest today... My name is Alejandro. You can call me Hondo. I'm one of the youth leaders here. And if whatever questions you have, let me know, and we'll, we'll try to answer them at the end, or I'll just tell you to go talk to Brandon. Okay. Brandon, raise your hand. That's Brandon. Okay. Over the weekend, I saw a movie with my son about a government official. He was a speaker of the house who betrayed the United States of America to gain monetary, monetary funds from, basically, uh, the weapon manufacturers. See, the sitting president, he wanted to get out of a war. This guy didn't want to because if he got out of the war, that means that there's no more money coming into his political campaigns and pockets. This betrayal also involved another person in government, and it was the head of the Secret Service, the person closest to the president. And between them two, they basically take over the White House, and they kill hundreds of innocent people in the name of patriotism. But we know that it wasn't in the name of patriotism. It was in the name of power. It was in the name of greed. It was in the name of money. I thought to myself, how far would people go for power and money? And obviously, you guys think it's a movie. The villain is caught at the end. You're right. The president never dies. Actually, he's alive. Yes. But... Things like this don't only happen in movies. They actually happen in real life and in history. Take, let's stick with American history. Benedict Arnold, right? He was a general in the Continental Army fighting for the colonials. <laughs> and then all of a sudden he switches and he fights against the very many trains and joins the British. Obviously, we know that he loses. 1776, July 4th, hoorah. But you think that's bad. There's even a worse example of this betrayal, of human betrayal to this degree of, of evil. And it's the betrayal of the Son of God by no other than Judas Iscariot. This was a historical fact, and it was done by basically one of Jesus' closest friends, loved ones, disciples. Let's read together today's passage in Matthew chapter 26, verses 14 through 16. The Word of God says, Then one of the twelve, named Judas Iscariot, 
went to the chief priests and said, What are you willing to give me to betray him to you? Talking about Jesus. And they weighed out 30 pieces of silver to him. From then on, he began looking for a good opportunity to betray Jesus. Sometimes we read this in our daily readings and we just read over it like, yeah, it's just part of history. But we're going to get into this. And we're going to see God's sovereign plan in these verses. It's not a coincidence that we sang Lord Almighty reigns. And we're also going to see how the Lord is sovereign even in salvation to those who, who He does save. And that's why we sang, All I Have is Christ. Because, ladies and gentlemen, that's all we have. None of us can bring anything to the table for salvation. And we're going to learn about that today. So let's go to context. Last week, I gave you a timeline of the Passion Week. And since I know you guys are motivated by things like blow pops, ew, um, I'm going to ask you some questions. And if you get it right, you get a blow pop. You can't eat it now, you'll eat it later, okay? So, what day are we currently in the Passover timeline? What day are we currently in with this passage that we just read today? Last week and Sunday's message from Brandon. Yes, sir. Wednesday is correct. I'm not going to throw it to you because it might fall in a crack and it's like, who wants to eat a broken lollipop? All right. Very good, sir. Very good. What happened on, let's go back to the beginning of that week. What happens on Sunday? Sunday, what happens, guys, the answer's in the Bible? Yes, Liberty, huh? Triumphal entry, good job. Here you go, Liberty. I'm asking you what flavors you want because I'm, I'm being, you know, kind today. Actually, sorry, you get what you get and you don't get upset. Here you go. You can trade later. All right, so, yes, Monday, triumphal entry. Good. Sunday. What about Monday? Who took notes? Who, what about, what happens on Monday? Yes. That's Wednesday. So good try, though. Thank you for your participating. Fox. Cleansing of the temple. Yes, sir. Cleansing of the temple. Huh? You can't have it, but you're going to give it to somebody. All right. Cleansing of the temple. So we got Sunday, we got Monday. What happens on Tuesday? Tuesday's a long day. Tuesday is a long, long day. Yes. He debates with the Pharisees. That's number one. What else happens on Tuesday? Yeah, the kids are up there. One of the reasons why we went over there. But hey, let's concentrate. What else happens on Wednesday? Sorry, Tuesday. Yes. The bunch of parables concerning what? End times, yes. Parables concerning end times. Go ahead and give that one over there, Jenna. Thank you very much. What else happens on Wednesday? Tuesday, sorry. Yes, Molly. Oh, yeah, you're right. I'm sorry. I, I got to confuse you there. Okay. Yes, Joy. Yes, we didn't go over it to the... Did we go over it? I don't remember because I haven't been to class. But yeah, sure, here we go. And remember that the, that Jesus, he's, he's debating with the Pharisees on the offense, sorry, on the defense, and then he goes on the offense and the seven woes to the scribes and Pharisees. All that happened on Tuesday. And then we're on Wednesday. We talked about what? Perfume, okay. That was Brandon's class on Sunday. And then what did I teach about last Wednesday? Molly. Plot to kill Jesus. Yes, good. All right, so you guys are paying attention. You just don't, you're motivated by, you know, capitalism, which is fine. We're in America. Okay. 
So, on Wednesday, we talked about Jesus' uh, prediction of his own death, the plot of the Pharisees. That was last Wednesday. Then on Sunday, Brandon talked about Mary anointing Jesus with costly perfume. And then today, we're going to focus on Judas and his three points regarding Judas' betrayal. Three points regarding Judas' betrayal. That's what we're going to look at today, verses 14 through 16. For those taking notes, our main idea that I want you to have in your mind as we read God's Word and study it is, God is sovereign over the entire plan of redemption and is sovereign over those He saves. God is sovereign over the entire plan of redemption and is sovereign over those He saves. And the first point that we're going to talk about tonight, about Judas' betrayal, is Judas's inquiry in verse 14 through 15a, Judas's inquiry. And let's read that verse together. The Word of God says, Then one of the twelve, named Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest. Then one of the twelve, named Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest. Then here means soon after. Soon after the woman poured the expensive perfume over Jesus, one of the twelve did something. Now, why mention one of the twelve? Well, Matthew wants the readers of Rome, which the letters directed to, and us to see how close the person was that betrayed Jesus. One of the twelve. They were also known as the twelve apostles. Apostle means messenger or one who is sent. Who are these twelve apostles? Who are these twelve messengers? Well, Matthew 10 tells us, verses 2 to 4. I remember Brandon gave us that lesson. Read as we follow along as I read. Now the names of the twelve apostles are these. The first, Simon, who's called Peter, which is the leader of the apostles, right? Then we have Andrew, his brother, and James, the son of Zebedee. We have John, so uh, James and John are brothers. Then we got Philip and Bartholomew. We got Thomas and we got Matthew, the tax collector. We got James, another James, the son of Alphaeus. And then we got Thaddeus. And then we have Simon the Zealot, which was a political person who wanted really to Israel to reign. Um, and they hated the, uh, the Roman oppression. And we have Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. These were the 12 that Jesus chose. What was the criteria to become one of these 12, if you might ask? Well, Jesus chose, chooses you directly. That's, that's the criteria. He chose his 12. Or, Paul, we're going to mention him in there, right? What is the criteria to add to these apostles? Because we know that Judas Iscariot, he commits suicide, right? So then there's a debate among, not debate, a discussion of how, who, how are we going to replace him? Well, Peter says it in Acts chapter 1, verses 21 through 22. Therefore, it is necessary that of the men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning when? With the baptism of John, until when? The day he was taken up from us. One of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So a, a criteria to be a replacement of the apostles was you need to have been there the entire Jesus' ministry from the beginning of his baptism with John till he was ascended. You needed to be there. Two men came up to play to, to the casting of the lots, and we know that it was Matthias that was chosen to be 
the 12 disciples, sorry, apostles. What else? To know that you were a true apostle, you had to perform signs and wonders. First, Second Corinthians 12, 12. Charlie mentioned it on Sunday. The signs of a true apostle will perform among you with all perseverance by signs and wonders and miracles. What type of miracles are we talking about here? Are, is it like headaches that were healed? That type of miracle? Like I had a nail that was broken and then it's like it grew? No, these are the type of miracles that they did. They raised people from the dead. Remember the young man of Troas? Paul was preaching until 12 o'clock at night. <laughs> he was in the balcony sitting and hearing and fell asleep and he fell three stories down he died. Paul resurrects him. That's a sign. What about Peter's shadow? The Bible says in Acts that they would put the sick on the road so as Peter would travel and walk, his shadow would heal them. That's That's a sign and wonder. What about pieces of cloth going around and healing people? Paul, he had a handkerchief, and this handkerchief was being passed around, and people who touched it were being healed from their sickness. Those are the types of signs and wonders that the apostles had. Now, parentheses, there are, no, there are no current apostles based on the criteria they just read. No one has lived to today that has saw, seen Jesus. There's no immortality that does not exist. So modern day apostles are not, they can't be. It's impossible. According to scripture, there are no apostles. There are no more apostles. There were the 12 and Paul. That's it. Paul saw Jesus. In his ministry, he was discipled by Jesus, and he performed the signs and wonders. And he was chosen directly by Christ, just like Christ chose his 12. How important were these 12 to Jesus? How important were these 12 to Jesus? And I'm trying to make a point here of the gravity of this office, of the seriousness of this office, that Matthew would mention one of the 12. One of the 12. They were hand-selected by Jesus after what? What did he do the night before? Before he selected them. Well, the Bible says, therefore, sorry, uh, it was at this time that he went off to the mountain to pray, and he spent the whole night in prayer to God. This is Luke 6, 12 to 13. And when they came, he called his disciples to him. He had many. But he chose 12 of them who he also named apostles. So he cared about them so much. This was a very important office. He prayed the entire night before he chose them. Why else were they important? Well, the foundation of the church would be laid upon their work and their teaching. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 20. Having built on the foundations of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. These are not... This is not a rinky-dinky office. This is the office that only was, that you can only get by, by Christ himself appointing you. How do we know that they laid the foundation along with the prophets? How do, how do we know that? Well, their teaching was validated through the signs that they did, right? They performed these signs and wonders, and they would write basically the majority of the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3 and 4 says, How will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? After it was at first spoken through the Lord Jesus, it was confirmed to us by those who heard. 
God also testifying with them, both by what? Signs and wonders and by various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. Only six New Testament books are not written by an apostle. Mark, he was not an apostle, but he wrote for Peter. That's very close associated to an apostle. Luke and Acts was written by Luke, but again, super associated with the apostle Paul. Jude and James, guess who they were? They were brothers, like blood brothers of Christ himself. And Hebrews, we don't know who the author is, but the majority of people say it had to be Paul. Or Apollos, but I like Paul better. Okay. Guys, they were the ones who spread the news of the gospel. They were the ones that the Holy Spirit used as they were preaching the gospel for thousands and thousands to convert to Christianity. Jesus focused all his attention, all his ministry, the majority of it was with these twelve. He knew them. He knew their lives. He knew their families. He knew them personally. Think about it. He loved his apostles. He loved each and every one of them. Never sinned against them because he's perfect. Never slandered them. Never hated them. And he knew that one of his disciples was going to betray him. Yet, the perfect God-man did ne- never sin against him. Never sinned against him. See, only a perfect God-man like Christ could do such a thing. Knowing day in and day out for three years, living life with these disciples, that one would betray him. The other one would deny him. Three times, the most outspoken one would deny him three times. And he still loved them. It's an example that we should follow when not putting ourselves or putting God's kingdom first. So, it says... Then one of the twelve, now you know how important that position was, named Judas Iscariot. So we now know who this person is. Judas Iscariot. Who was Judas Iscariot, you might be asking. Well, the Bible tells us what he did for the apostles. John chapter 12, verse 4 through 6. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, who was intending to betray him, said, this isn't the scene of the perfume that you guys learned about with Brandon. Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and given to poor people? Now, he said this, not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief. And as he had the money box, he used to pilfer it. He used to pilfer what was put into it. So he was in charge of the money. He was the accountant of the disciples. People would send in their money to support Jesus and his missionary and his ministry and Judas Iscariot was the one that distributed it. Pilfer means to steal a little here and there. That's what he would do. He would pocket some here, he would pocket some there. He had the trust of the Savior, right? How can you come against me? How dare you? Do do you know who chose me, right? And we also know that he was in charge of the money. He betrayed Jesus, and that guilt of betraying Jesus led him to kill himself. Matthew chapter 27, verse 3 to 5. Then when Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that he had been condemned, he felt remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. But they said, what is that to us? See that to yourself. And he threw the pieces of silver into the temple sanctuary and departed, and he went away and hanged himself. There's a lot to unpack here, but we're not because this is going to be spoken about later on, and I don't want to like rain on this, whoever's teaching the parade, but 
he filled himself because of the guilt. He couldn't handle it. So now we know who he was one of the 12. His name is Judas Iscariot. Where was he going? Verse 14. Went to the chief priests. Went to the chief priests. Who were the chief priests? Remember, we talked about that last Wednesday. Who were the chief priests? They were the rulers of the people that were made up of both religious leaders, high priests, Sadducees, Pharisees, and elders. Elders who were influential in their money that helped make decisions for the Jewish people. He went to these influential men. Why, you might ask, why is he going to these chief priests, to the elders? Well, he was going to inquire about a possible betrayal. Stuart Weber states, Judas knew who to approach, the chief priests. And he knew they wanted Jesus. Why? Because Judas had watched these leaders suffer humiliation before the people many times as Jesus defeated them with truth and his authority. So you know how Jesus was. Every time there was no debate that he did not win. He won every debate. And he knew that he saw the faces of the religious leaders. And he's like, man, if these people ever wanted Jesus, if, they, if anybody wanted him killed, are these people. Because he's always telling, he's exposing their hypocrisy to the people. He's exposing their power to the people. So that's why he goes. So let's read his official inquiry in verse 15. And said, what are you willing to give me to betray him to you? What are you willing to give me to betray him to you? Guys, let's not read over this quickly. What would make a man who was with Jesus, his inner circle, for three years, want to betray his master? What would cause somebody to do that? You guys remember all the discussions that we've been having throughout the book of Matthew in these five years that we've been going over Matthew? It's probably been a year and a half. People were what? They wanted a Savior that would accommodate their mold, that would accommodate their desire. They wanted a Savior that met their needs, not the true Savior that would save them from their spiritual needs. They could care less for their spiritual needs. They wanted a physical Savior to deliver them from Roman oppression. That is the leaders that they wanted. See, he was ex- Judas wasn't one of those. He was expecting that leader, right? Look at Mark 10, 32. They were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking on ahead of them, and they were amazed. And those who followed were fearful. Why were they amazed? And why were Because the disciples knew he would go to Jerusalem, something bad was going to happen. Yet he's still going because he has to fulfill the will of his father, which is to give his life for us, for salvation. But the disciples, they're not seeing that. They're looking out. Oh, man, Jesus, he's leading us. He's going to finally do what he did. He's going to deliver us from the Romans. He's going to give us this position of power that we all left everything to follow him. He's going to give us high position in government because he is the Messiah. He is going to reign. He, he's going to deliver That's the Messiah that many of them had in their mind. And one of them, obviously, was Judas. So think about it. This was the fourth time Judas hears Jesus say, by the way, guys, I'm I'm going to give my life for you, but on the third day I'm going to be resurrected. Fourth time he's like, hold on a second. What's going on here? And what did he just mention? 
when, when what does Brandon teach about on, uh, on Sunday? What did Jesus say? A couple of verses here. I don't know if I have it. Do I have it there? Let me see. Yeah, 2612. For when she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for, my, for burial. So Judas is like, hold on. The triumphal entry. Jesus, you had momentum. You had momentum. You raised Lazarus from the dead. People were following you. They would have followed you to war. And instead of using your momentum to side with the Pharisees and the religious leaders to fund the campaign to overthrow, you decide to debate them. Not only do you decide to debate them, but you decide to put them out there like you've never done before to, in the seven worlds to the scribes and Pharisees. Not only do you do that, now you're telling us that you're going to die. And not only that, that this perfume that was constantly is going to be for your burial. So humanly speaking, what does Judas say to himself? Well, he's not the Messiah that I was expecting. And I'm going to get out when I still can. And I'm going to try to see what I can get out of it. Again, this is not all inspired. This is just putting one and one together, guys. And just being human. Judas was human. The apostles were human. And their emotions are our emotions. And their thoughts are the way we thought. Same sin, different culture. And please, don't think that I'm trying to excuse Judas for what he did. I'm not. I'm trying to show you the great power of God in his, how he orchestrates his redemptive plan, including the idea that the Son of Man would be betrayed and would be sold for 30 pieces of silver. And in his sovereign plan, God even uses Satan for this purpose. Luke 22, 1 through 4. Now the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is called the Passover, was approaching. The chief priests and the scribes were seeking how they might put him to death, for they were afraid of the people. And Satan entered into Judas, who was called Iscariot, belonging to the number of the twelve. And he went away and discussed with the chief priests and officers how he might betray him to them. How he might betray him to them. So now we have some sort of ideas of why, right? Why he would betray Jesus and go to the chief priests. But I want us to pause real quick, and I want us to see the real root of why. Let's look at the state of Judas's heart. The state of Judas' heart. This is, you guys know John MacArthur, right? That's a, that's a trick question. Not everyone of you know. You know what kind of like boosted him? To the scene, what gave him name for himself that God used? A book called The Gospel According to Jesus. Have you read it before? It's a great book. I recommend you read it. It's about the Lordship of Christ. How it's like, just because you say a prayer when you're seven doesn't mean that you're saved. And he goes on and explains biblically and gives the account of the true gospel according to Jesus. Take up your cross, follow me, and deny yourself. Right? But you know what got him to write that book? What his thesis was in his uh, university to do was the betrayal of Judas. He was like, how could that be? Judas was with Jesus all those years. He saw him perform the miracles. He saw the authority they had over nature, over demons. Yet, he still betrayed the Son of God. Why? You know why? Because his heart was dead dead heart, unregenerated by the Holy Spirit, 
all of us without Christ have the potential of doing what Judas did. I say without Christ because when you are in Christ, you will have a new nature. Without Christ, you're dead in your trespasses. You're an enemy of God. You're a child of disobedience. Three verses come to our mind real quick. Reading this, I wanted to share them with you. Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Another verse that comes, the fact that God chooses some vessels for His glory and some vessels for destruction, Romans 9, 15-17. For He says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. For the Scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I raised you up to demonstrate my power in you and that in my name might be proclaimed throughout the whole world. And lastly, John 6, 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Guys, these, this verse, these verses that I just read, they just affirm two truths. They're parallel to each other. They're twin truths. The Bible does not contradict itself. It's the fact that we are not God, and our His ways are higher than our ways, and the revealed things... And the secret things belong to the Lord. We are called to repent and believe. We are called to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. But at the same time, we can only do that when God gives us the gift of faith to do so. They go hand in hand. We're called to repent and believe, but we can only do it if Christ allows us. He, he opens our spiritual eyes do those things. Uh, to repent and believe. Now I want, to, I want you to think of the state of your own heart. Ask yourself this question. Is Jesus my Lord? Do you see yourself as a desperate sinner in need of God's forgiveness? Daily, do you see yourself? Do you wake up and say, Lord, thank you for your salvation because without you, I am nothing. I would be straight, going straight to hell, being apart from your presence forever. Do you understand your position before a holy God? Do you love to pray? Do you love to read God's Word? Do you love to serve His church? Do you love coming to church? Maybe not in perfection, maybe not all the time, but it characterizes your life. Or are you like Judas? Doing the motions, coming to church, so my parents don't tell me anything. I'm reading the Bible just to check off so I can tell my dad and mom that I did it. Praying so I can just get it over with. So I can, in small group, when they're asking me, I, I'm not going to be the only one not doing it. You might even be thinking in your mind, man, I can't wait until I'm 18 because once I'm 18, I'm out of my house and I'm going to do whatever I want. I pray and beg that that's not you. And I pray and beg that if you have those thoughts in your mind, it's not worth it. Being... The Lord of your own life is not worth it. Being a slave to Christ is worth it. Because He is worthy of our praise. And we will bow the knee one day, whether you like it or not. 
So I beg and pray that tonight you repent from your sins and put your faith only in Christ for salvation because He's the only one that can save you. You can't save yourself. You will never save yourself. Make Jesus your Lord because He's worthy. And again, I always say this. Your job is not to find out if you're part of the elect. That's not your job. Your job is to believe, call upon the name of the Lord to be saved, and repent. That's what you're called to. You're not saying, oh, if I'm not called, what's the point? (laughs) That's not how it goes. That's not how it works. And this goes back to our theme. Remember that God is sovereign over the entire plan of redemption, including the betrayal of Judas, and is sovereign over those he saves. Unfortunately, Judas is not in that category. And God sovereignly chose that. Why? Because he's God. And he decides. And guys, guess, guess what? It's a blessing to know that salvation comes from God. Because if he gives it, he sustains it. He gives it, he sustains it. You will not lose it. You don't have to worry about it. John 10, 28 to 30 says, And I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. And again, he says, My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Powerful words from Christ to those of you who are in Christ. Praise the Lord for these words. Praise the Lord for these words. Now, this concludes our first point. It's the longest point. The other ones are not as long. But I wanted to make sure that you understand the gravity that he was one of the twelve. And this betrayal would really, really hurt Jesus. And the reader, the Roman reader needed to know, and you need to know, that this happened. We follow the example of Christ. So, the next point that we're going to talk about is the actual bargain. Verse 15b. Verse 15b. And they weighed out 30 pieces of silver to him. To weigh out means to count it. They counted 30 pieces of silver in front of him. 30, 30 uh, pieces of silver is about four months of a wage. Four months of, four months of wages, right? R.T. France states, 30 pieces of silver was the sum laid down as compensation paid to an owner for the loss of a slave. But Matthew's mention of the specific sum is clearly intended to echo Zechariah 11:12, where the same sum is weighed out, the same word is used here to be paid, as the derisory wages of the rejected shepherd, meaning derisory is like very nothing, zero, like who was the messianic figure. So basically, they valued his life for nothing. They, they put no value on Jesus' life for 30 pieces of silver. Other parallel passages in Luke's account, it's clear that there's like a back and forth between the chief priest and Judas. Luke 22, 3 to 5, 4 to 5, and he went away and discussed with chief priests and officers how he might betray them, him to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. They were glad and agreed to give him money. What we do know is that he consented. Judas accepted this bargain, this deal. Which brings us to our third and final point of the night. The consent. Point three. The consent. In verse 16. From then on, he began looking for a good opportunity to betray Jesus. Judas consented. Luke, in the parallel account, 22, verses 5 through 6, says, They were glad and agreed to give him money. So he what? Consented. 
and began seeking a good opportunity to betray him apart from the crowd. So he knew the plan. His inside man knew the plan. They wanted his life. And Judas could have told the Savior, hey, Jesus, I was there. I kind of was going to betray you, but I, I really felt bad. I'm a, but I want to tell you what's going to happen, even though the Lord was going to die regardless. But it, it would have shown, okay, Judas, you know, you really love me, right? You, you know what's going on. You care for me. Thank you for telling me. But he didn't do all that. Instead, he was waiting for the perfect time to betray him, to get the Savior's trust, to get the disciples' trust to the perfect sting of betrayal. He was basically the answer prayer to the elders and chief priests. Remember last time we spoke? They were trying to say, hey, let's arrest him, but let's not do it in front of the people because God forbid there's a riot. We don't want that. Here comes Judas. Hey, I can give him to you. Answered prayer from the simple high priests and Sadducees. But we all know who was also knew what was going on. It was God. Do not catch my surprise, like we mentioned last class. This is the way, the means that he used. He orchestrated the evil of men to hand over the Son of Man to be sacrificed. Verse John 17, verse 12. While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, talking about the twelve, which you have given me, and I guarded them, and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. This is a prophecy that needs to be fulfilled. Jesus knew that I'm going to protect all of them. And none of them left me except the one that was meant for perdition, which is Judas Iscariot. How do we know what scripture is fulfilled? Psalm 41, 7 through 9. All who hate me whispered together against me. Against me they devised my hurt, saying, A wicked thing is poured out upon him, that when he lies down, he will not rise up again. Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. How do we know that Psalm 41 specifically talks about the betrayal of Christ? Well, Jesus tells him himself while he's washing the disciples' feet in John 13. I do not speak of all of you. I know the one I have chosen, but it is that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats my bread has lifted up his heel against me. Judas's betrayal was prophesied hundreds of years before. It was not it did not catch God by surprise. God is sovereign in everything he does, including the death of his son. He was sovereign. He is sovereign. The Lord did this all for his glory. Remember, God is sovereign over the entire plan of redemption and sovereign over those he saves. To close, please don't read this and say to yourself, how could Judas betray the Son of God? How dare he? Does he does he know what he did? How the audacity that he would betray the Son of God? I would never do so. <laughs> the truth is, believers and unbelievers, we betray Jesus all the time. All the time, we betray Jesus. How does that look like? Every time you think Jesus is not enough. It is a subtle form of betrayal. When you place your trust in earthly things for your happiness and success and, your co and comfort, instead of putting your eyes on Christ, you betray Him. Because you think you know what you need more than what the Savior has planned for you. Christ, I want you to do and be the Christ, the Savior that I want you to be, just like Judas. 
betrayed him. I want you to be the Savior that delivers me from this Roman oppression. I don't want you to be the Savior that confronts me to my real sin. That's a form of betrayal. Another form of betrayal that we do along as, as believers in Christ is every time we don't want to share the gospel. When you, you, you know it, the thought comes to your mind. Guys, by the way, it's not a coincidence that that thought goes to your mind. It's, it's there. It's placed by God. Should, I should preach the gospel right now. I should invite this person to church. But like Peter, you deny him because you're afraid of what others are going to say or think about you. I fall in it all the time. Not all the time, but sometimes. I try my best to share the gospel the most I can. But there's sometimes that I, I, I fear men. Things. I was traveling to California, and out of the maybe the four different people, I, I preached the gospel to three, but there's one that he just looked super. He, he told me he was a straight-up atheist, and I, and I just stayed there. I was like, you know what? This guy's not even here. Shame on me for doing that. Because I was afraid of man knowing that the gospel has the power to save. Very easy to talk to somebody who, yeah, I, go, I, I think I'm a Christian, and we just convers- have a conversation. Or, but that one, and it happens, right? It happens. But we betray Jesus. We betray Him. It's a betrayal. There's no other way to sugarcoat it. But there's a reaction. You can be like Peter and not like Judas. You see, Judas was remorseful. He didn't really repent. Not really. He felt bad for what happened. He didn't like the feeling that he was feeling. He thought that by taking the money back, he would be forgiven by the high priest. Therefore, I'm okay with you, God. Don't be angry at me. No, he didn't do that. He didn't repent really. He was only looking after himself. But what does Peter do? When Peter betrays him three times, that changes Peter's life. He truly repented and had and became one of the courageous, one of the most courageous apostles that there was. We shall not do what government says. We shall obey God and not man. He was beaten and told not to go to the plaza the next day, and he was there the next day. He died as a martyr. He repented. And he actually repented. I said, God, I'm sorry. I, re- I betrayed you today, God. I'm sorry for not preaching the gospel to that person because he said he was an atheist. I'm sorry, Lord. Help me be better next time. And guess what? Don't feel defeated because you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. And you have the Word to meditate on and to renew your mind with and press on, press forward. I don't know how to preach the gospel. Invite them to church. We'll preach the gospel here for you until you learn. Invite them. What's What's the worst that can happen? Oh, you're one of those? Yes, say it proudly. Your neighbors, like Charlie, we're all missionaries. We're all to the door, next door neighbor. I pray and hope that one of you become a missionary to the world, and we can train you to Excel and give you a two-year internship. Please, if you if you want to do that, let me know. We we got you. But more importantly, it's our duty to represent Christ every time, every time we can. Amen. So let's not look at Judas and say, oh, that's us too, sometimes. And it's okay to recognize your sin so you can pinpoint the sin that you need to kill to renew your mind and to put on the righteousness of God. Amen? So how do we apply what we read today? Number one, I want you to check the state of your heart. Is Jesus your Lord? Are you going to be one of those that says, Lord, Lord, did we not in your name? Don't miss the point. Don't miss the point of Matthew 7. Those who love my commandments and obey them are my disciples. And you can only love and obey God if you are his slave. 
if you need your Lord. As a believer, repent like Peter did when he betrayed Jesus. Don't stay defeated. Remember, we can have victory over sin because we're no longer a slave to it. Thank God. We're, no, we're not slaves to our sin. We don't have to sin in any way you can. You can say no to the power of the Holy Spirit that lives in you and to the reading of the Word of God and meditating on it. Renewing your mind. That's why we do it. That's why we meditate on God's Word. To not be a slave to sin, to live a life that honors Christ. Number two, we should praise God for His redemptive plan of salvation and sovereignty. God is good. He is perfect. Only He can orchestrate the evil of men for the good of those who love Him. Only He can do that. Only He would allow the greatest evil of humankind, human history, for the greatest good, our salvation. And lastly, praise God that He alone saves and that He alone sustains you. It is the best feeling in the world to know that you don't bring anything to the table. He saved me. He sustains me. There's no working your salvation. Well, the Bible says to work out your salvation, meaning to live according to the gospel that was presented to you. Live in the honor of God as a slave, but not that you can do anything for God to have more favor or less favor of you. Just, you just can't. That's the grace of God. Amen? Let's pray. Oh, gracious and heavenly Lord, we thank you for your powerful word. We thank you, Father, that you put men in history that we can learn from, Father, that sometimes we can identify with, Lord, so that we can repent from our sins and not be them and glorify your name instead. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for dwelling in us, for convicting us of our sin, for sanctifying us, for bringing the Scripture to our minds when we need it. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for giving us a new nature, for regenerating us, for transforming us, and not being more, no longer slaves to sin. We're sorry, Lord, when we don't think that you're enough. We're sorry, Lord, when we put our faith and our happiness and our hope in things that are not eternal and things that are not you. Help us always have our eyes on you because you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You are worth our praise. Our, our Every honor, glory goes to you, God. We praise you for your sovereignty. You're in control. Nothing happens by accident. You are seated, seated on your throne. You are in control always. You will not be moved, oh God. We thank you because we can rely on you and who you are. Let us, let us love you for who you are, not for what you can do for us, God, but for who you are, a great and holy and just and loving God. I pray for those that are not saved tonight, that you can open their eyes, Holy Spirit, that they can see themselves as a sinner and a Savior. They can call out for salvation today. We thank you for the fellowship that we're going to have right now in our groups. And we thank you for North Bible Church. In your name we pray. Amen.